Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe that we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our originals page when shopping for books and movies we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations. I was so excited for our big Star Trek film franchise series this season. All those movies adapted from Gene Roddenberry's original 1960s TV show. As a huge fan, I know that you geeked out over analyzing the adaptations. Absolutely. From the motion picture to the Kelvin timeline films, seeing the Enterprise crews on the big screen was a dream come true. Our list of source material isn't just all books and plays. We have the original series in our list of source material. You can rent the episodes to watch and enjoy and support the show in the process. For our Millennium Trilogy series, we covered films adapted from the original books that launched Lizbeth Salander, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. As much as I love Fincher's version, the original Swedish versions are the way to go. We also did our Die Hard series in Season 7. I can't believe Die Hard and Die Hard 2 were adaptations! Two of the greatest action movies ever. Well, one of them at least. The other is awfully fun, though. We revisited the classic Mary Poppins for our 1960s movie musical series. A spoonful of sugar always helps the medicine go down. Old Boy was intense for our Park Chan-wook Vengeance trilogy. And East of Eden and Giant were highlights of our James Dean series. And a fun time travel mind bender with predestination to cap things off. Find all the books behind these adaptations and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Dive into the source material for your favorite movies. Check it out today. Thenextreel.com slash originals. Okay, I don't even know what trailer I put in the, the links. I think I think I did the right one. But you're sort of the magic guy with the the right trailer for these international films. I, uh, you know, it's funny that you say that. I didn't even uh, check on this one to see if there 
uh, was a different Argentine version. But this one did have, um, uh, it, it was in Spanish, and it does like mention the director's other credits mm-hmm. um, in Spanish. Like Damian Cifron, it mentions, you know, Los Simuladores, Hermanos y Detectives, Tiempos de Valientes. So it's obviously directed at a market that will recognize those titles, mm-hmm. you know. I liked it. Yeah, it's a great trailer. And the use of Hungarian Rhapsody, uh, number two, is a fantastic piece of music for a manic trailer like this, or a manic story. Yeah. What's interesting about it is that this is an anthology tale, but I, I'll tell you, this trailer felt so much like a single film. Like, it was it, it was sort of betraying the fact that this is an anthology story, and um, I, I can't... I can't quite put my finger on if that's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I think it um, lets it gives you a sense of uh, cohesion with it. And I don't think it would matter, really, if you'd go to the theater and find out that it's uh, an anthology film. It actually, you know, I in retrospect, I actually wish that I had gone and looked at some trailers for some other anthology films just to compare to see, like, you know, do are they... Are they kind of defining the the anthology element within the trailer mm-hmm. or are they doing it like this where it's just kind of makes you feel like it's one story and you're just kind of um, not really sure what it, what really is going on? I don't know. Well, I, I come at it from the perspective of not generally uh, liking anthology movies as much. And so this I, I feel like, um, you know, had I gone into this movie and not liked it, I would have felt like the trailer was sort of a betrayal, like I would have thought I was getting one movie, uh, and when I didn't get one movie, that's not cool. Uh, as it as it stands, I, I did enjoy Wild Tales, and, uh, and, and I liked it because I think the trailer celebrates what does connect these, all of these elements together, that this is a, that this is a story of, um, you know, of a, of a bunch of just normal people who kind of go crazy, and the trailer kind of celebrates the frenetic nature of, of that craziness, um, you know, as, as they kind of lose it, even though you don't really know what the story is. Or stories are. Stories are, right, right. Yeah. right. Right. Yeah, certainly. You do get little um, bits and pieces, but yeah, you don't really get a sense that it is um, or what any of the stories are really focusing on. If anything, though, I mean, I feel like the title might might hint at yeah, it, you're right. wild tales. Yeah. It's like, OK, so so we're probably getting tales. I mean, it could be a single film, but I don't know. I have a feeling that it was probably marketed, uh, you know, in a way where people knew it was an anthology film. Um, you're right. The trailer doesn't define that, but I don't know for my money. I think they made an effective trailer that, uh, certainly piqued my curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. I was in, but I'm, I'm also a trade. I'm also an anthology film lover though. So you're a, a lover. Lo que te estoy proponiendo me avergüenza y mucho, pero nos conocemos desde hace años y siento que tenemos esta confianza. ¿Trabajo o placer? Las dos cosas, espero. Dale, Salame, muévete. ¿Qué te pasa, hermano? Buenas noches, ¿uno solo? Creo que sos buena para las matemáticas. El acta de infracción dice que el auto estaba mal estacionado y eso se considera prueba suficiente. Papá. Papá. ¿Qué pasó? This is the next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson. 
Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, we're wrapping up our series on the works of Argentinian actor Ricardo Darín with the 2014 black comedy anthology film Wild Tales. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you enjoy this show and are interested in supporting our ongoing work investigating great films like this one, please consider a regular donation through our Patreon page. You'll get to join our back-channel conversations on Slack, listen to the members-only weekend show, and get better chances of being part of our Listener's Choice episodes. We have one coming up next week. Just head over to patreon.com slash the next reel. ¿Qué violencia? A ver. Yo estoy describiendo una realidad. No, ¿Dónde está la violencia? Andy, I, I, before we start talking about the film itself, I, I already said that, that, that I'm not generally a fan of anthology films. I, I, so, I'm sort of on the on the side of the fence where, you know, if you go to a movie, you, you want to go to a movie. And so I would love it if you would open us up with this, uh, with, with your thoughts on why, why anthology fil- films can be great. What is it that makes them great? Well, I guess that's the question is, is what does, what makes an anthology film good? You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, there's got to be a sense of cohesion with it. I mean, we've only talked about one other one on the show um, thus far, and it was Creepshow, which obviously is all kind of, it's it's a horror. It's all united with that very comic book sort of feel um, done in kind of a style that, um, that feels like we're reading kind of a pulp comic book. And, and it was that visual piece that tied it together very much, right? You already know you're in the genre, and the comic book ties all of these stories together. It's a very visual and stylistic kind of connective piece. Exactly. We've got those great stylistic like uh, moments where at the, at the start and end, it almost like it turns into an animated frame. Um, and it, you get that sense that this is really a comic book story. And, and I think it really works well there. Um, there are, uh, you know, other successful ones. They're not always directed by the same people. I think that there have been other successful anthology films where each segment is directed by a different director. I think that can happen. But I do think that there is something to be said for anthology films um, like Creepshow that are directed by the same person, it has the same vision, and you get a better sense of that cohesive tissue Um between the stories that just makes them feel um, a part of each other. Um, and and I think, you know, just the visual, the narrative, the um, the style, you know, the music, there are so many things that can kind of help, or thematically also, that can kind of help connect it. And this is certainly a case where I feel like having one director, Damian Cifron, directing the whole thing helps. It all, even though each of the stories kind of has a different visual language i think that they all still feel like they are done by the same person and thematically i think all six stories definitely feel um of the same world so it's it's tricky i mean you compare something like this to something like um abc's of death or 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 vhs or some of the the anthology films that might not be as good and you can really see some uh some of the quality that can stand out when it's when it's done in a way where it's actually connective. It's not just 
you know, six random stories stitched together. Well, and that I think is is what makes this film, you know, uh, enjoyable. I was frustrated when I heard I, I didn't even know when we picked this film that this was an anthology film. I had no idea, and so I was I was actually frustrated when I heard that because what it means is I'm going to go to this thing. We're doing this movie on the work of Ricardo Duran, and I have to sit through five other shorts in order to really see, you know, what he brings to the table in this film. And and I I was frustrated by that. I was not interested in it. I, I think this film sets itself apart from um, other anthology films that I don't like because I do get the sense that, as you say, A, they take place in the same world. All of these things I, I feel like could exist in the same world from the the weird coincidence piece Pasternak in the beginning, um, you know, to the wedding that, that, you know, might as well be going on on the ground right below them, right? It feels to me like they're they're in the same they exist in the same universe. And second, they're all telling the, the these stories of, of vengeance that that sort of waver between subtle and deeply unsubtle, um, uh, but actually tell their stories in a way that's that that ties them together. Right? There's that thematic connection that that I think um, it does make it feel like it's it's more of a piece. Um, it would it, it might have satisfied my. Um, you know, inner inner audience member to have some sort of a, a, a you know bumper at the beginning and end that connects them. You know, somehow that they really do exist in the same space. But um, but as it is, I I appreciate that this was Sifron sort of giving us a collected works, uh, but all on the same theme. And that that actually does make it does make sense to me. And I was able to kind of jump on the bandwagon. Well, and I think that's that's why it ended up being such a successful anthology film is because these stories are ones where people kind of go a little crazy. And I mean, Sifron himself says, society is full of people who repress themselves and thereby become depressed. We fantasize about what we could have done, what we should have said, and we argue to ourselves with an imaginary enemy who is no longer there. But some people explode. This is a movie about those who explode, and we can all understand why they explode. He says, it's the fuzzy boundary that separates civilization from barbarism, the vertigo of losing your temper, and the undeniable pleasure of losing control. And in all of these stories, you kind of have a situation where somebody is is in a situation where they're pushed to their limits and they get to explode and they don't necessarily all end up in a good place by the time we get to the end of the stories. But it's very kind of cathartic to watch these people go through their stories and go, ah, oh, okay, I am, I, I feel like I, like that tension has been lifted because We've all been in these situations, maybe not all of these situations, but certainly situations that that might be slightly uh, familiar. And it's like it's it feels, um, you know, it gives you that sense of um, of pleasure of seeing somebody kind of do what you've always thought of doing. There is this there's this moment in every one of these um, these pieces where it it moves from. Like I, uh, I've, I've been in this situation. I have felt the way this person is feeling to escalation 
to go, you know, to sort of play out what would have happened if I <laughs> if I had actually flipped that guy off on the road and he was crazy or, you know, <laughs> if, if I had been amongst this group of people who had all somehow wronged a guy who then became an airline pilot like that. It goes from from that bit of coincidence to insanity. Uh, the pivot in in each case is um, it, it's it's so fast <laughs> it happens so fast and i think that mirrors the experience of of life when you when you realize oh my god i just did this one thing this is chaos theory i just insulted this one guy or got my car towed and now i've lost my job and i've lost my family as a result of this one tiny thing you know a, a butterfly f- flaps its wings uh you know and suddenly it's i've in new york i've got rain instead of Sunshine. So uh, I really appreciate the way uh, the the way he plays with um, plays he plays out my inner Pete for me on screen in each of these stories, uh, and uh, it's it, it's most of them end up really scary, uh, <laughs> knowing that I am that close to being in that in that position. Do you want to walk through uh, each of the stories briefly? Just what you know? What was yeah. your what was, and and what was your favorite? Absolutely. Yeah, let's let's look at that. And we should just real quickly say before we jump into this, um, this weekend on our Saturday matinee, which is uh, for Patreon members, um, we are all going to be talking about uh, some of our other favorite anthology films. So it should make for an interesting conversation. Yes, absolutely. So first up, we have uh, Pasternak, which is, the, as you already said, the story of a, a, an airline pilot who, or I shouldn't say it's about him, it's it's about people on this plane who realize that they all have this, uh, this, this uh, common connection, whose name is Pasternak, and they realize over the course of their very brief flight that they've all wronged him in some way. And, um, and then they realize that Pasternak is the pilot (laughs) and, uh, he's planned this. He got them all onto this plane and he, uh, pretty much takes them all down. Yeah. uh, That was, that was not great. That one, see, and that's what I think it opened with much more of a feeling of, of grim, um, sort of fatalism, uh, a la kind of black mirror, you know, it felt like it was going to be, and it sort of set the tone of the film, in a way that didn't that some of the other stories didn't quite live up to. Uh, I expected it to go much more sort to be much more around technology around, you know, this guy is is turning technology into something, you know, monstrous. And and so I thought that was interesting. Uh, The next one is Las Las Ratas, the rats. And uh, it is uh, uh, a young woman is working at a, at a restaurant and a, a patron comes in and it turns out this this patron is a mob boss. And the he is um, through his efforts, uh, her father uh, actually killed himself uh, years before. And so she is confronting um, who she believes is essentially the murderer of her father. And she has to wait on him. Uh, and it's it ends up uh, being a story of poisoning and murder, which is, oh yes, which is delightful. With the the fantastic uh, cook, yes, who's just like yeah, who's been to prison and she's not she afraid to care. Back. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, third story is El Mas Fuerte, the strongest. This story is um, about a driver who, uh, you know, he's got his nice car, he's cruising through the country trying to get. Uh, back to where he belongs, 
and uh, a, a little car is blocking the way. It felt very much like duel for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's trying to get around this guy, and the guy's in pur- purposefully blocking him. He finally gets around him. He flips him off, uh, yells at him, and then he drives on. Unfortunately, he blows a tire right next to a bridge, and uh, while he's fixing it, this guy shows up and uh, pretty much starts uh, going at him, and <laughs> and uh, it goes pretty crazy. These two, it turns into quite the quite the battle and it ends in, I think what I felt might've been my, my favorite resolution of the story <laughs> with, with their, their burned bodies <laughs> charred embracing inside the, <laughs> the remains of the vehicle after it blows up. I, I love how it's that, that final thing, you know, how do how did it happen? And what, they, and they, what's your theory? Yeah. Crime of passion. Crime of passion. Cause <laughs> they look like they're hugging each other. I thought that was, yep. it was really grim. Um, the, the fourth one is, uh, with our our hero uh, Ricardo Duran, it's it's Bombita, little bomb, and uh, it's uh, the story of a man who uh, he just keeps getting his car towed, and he takes it as a great personal affront that the the city has not painted the curbs, and yet they where he is parking as no parking zones, and yet they continue to tow his car and make him pay, and eventually he makes them pay. Uh, unfortunately, he is uh, an explosives uh, expert, and and his job is to bring down old buildings and, and uh, do so in a controlled way, and he, he does, uh, as we'll see, uh, eventually ply his trades against um, uh, against the towing company next one is la propuesta the proposal um in this story it's a uh, the story about a uh, the son of a rich family who uh comes home uh you know he had been drinking and you know while he was out in his car he accidentally hit and killed a woman and a pregnant woman and um and you know he's horrified they're not sure if they know who did it um but his dad uh, has his uh, lawyer come over and they work out this whole plan where they say, okay, they're going to figure out who did it because they have the security cameras. They'll know whose car it is. So we need to come up with a plan quickly. And they basically come up with this deal and talk their um, their landscaper of like 20 years um, into taking the rap for the son because they know the son won't be able to handle it. They're going to give this guy tons of money so that he can uh, you know take better care of his family and all this stuff, and and the deal goes back and forth, and um, it ends with um, finally the deal being settled, and the the groundskeeper going out to uh, take the rap and be arrested, only to have the um, the woman's husband, the victim's husband, uh, kill him right there <laughs> uh, at the end after this whole uh, deal that they put together. Gruesome, uh, and the final uh, story is hasta que la muerte nos separe. Is that close? Uh, it's all right. <laughs> Bite me. Until death do us part. Uh, and it is the story of what happens when a bride finds out that her new husband has just cheated on her while they are in the middle of their wedding dance, and he invited the, the uh, woman with whom he cheated as, to be a guest at the wedding. Uh, and she proceeds to, uh, shall we say, lose her cool. And the wedding, <laughs> uh, d- the wedding falls apart. And uh, all of the sudden, uh, she begins to exercise her demons on 
him and the guests and the cook and uh, and and this is this is it's not my favorite one but I think it has the most interesting resolution for the film because it goes back to um, you know something we talked about with um, um, was the second movie we did that I liked so much. Son of, Son, Son of the Bride? With Son of the Bride, uh, which ends on a deeply, wonderfully romantic note that is uh, otherwise um, uh, in, a, in a gruesome film. And this one, they end the film kissing and, you know, doing it on the table where the cake is. And <laughs> while the guests are like, oh, well, the I guests are, we okay, <laughs> we should go. This just got, this just got weird. And, um, uh, and, and I think that's an interesting way to end these stories that that don't have a, a good solid resolution. Uh, so we can talk more about that. But uh, of these six, which which one spoke to you the most? I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I I did enjoy all of them. Um, actually, um, no, I, you don't I you don't that, get to do that. You don't get to chicken out. You got no. I, you, you I'm get not to chickening one. out. Oh, you're I'm just saying. I bit. I didn't I didn't not like any of them. <laughs> Uh, I liked all of them. El Mas Fuerte um, might have been my favorite because it was just, I don't know. I just, I, I loved that, that battle between these, these, uh, these two strong willed people who are going to, uh, you know, best each other in this battle of the automobiles on the road. Uh, and I thought that had the kind of the funniest little twist at the ending there. Um, Las Ratas might have been my least favorite of the bunch. Um, I loved Pasternak. I really liked Bombita, uh, Ricardo's one. Um, it had a um, a slower vibe to it than the other ones did, um, along with La Propuesta. I think both of those were a little more uh, slowly paced. But I don't think that um, there was anything wrong with that. If anything, it felt like you know you needed kind of to give a little roller coaster some ups and downs and everything. And Hasta que la muerte nos separe. Um, I think that one... Um, it wasn't one of my favorites, but like you said, in retrospect, it ended up having a, just a a real twisted ending and and the way that it resolved, I think, like you said, it was, it was almost perfect for this film because it's that, that crazy connection that sometimes there is with, with people in the world. And so I, I kind of like that, but I'd say El Mas Fuerte was probably uh, the one I enjoyed the most just because it was <laughs> really funny. I think uh, for me, the proposal, La Propuesta is, is probably my least favorite because um, I, I I just found his turn, the father's turn, you know, this, we're, we're going through the story and, and the, the, you know, you think it's the story of getting the son off, but it turns out it's the father we're following here. And it's at one point the father, who's clearly a wealthy man, he is so tired of the lawyer and the policeman uh, and the, everybody who's investigating. They're all taking a part of this bribe from him, and they keep turning up the 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 dollar amount. And eventually, he says, "Screw it." Son, go turn yourself in. I'm done. Uh, and uh, I found that, like, that was the first piece in this whole thing where I felt like that's not how it would play out for me. <laughs> like, it's not, I can't put myself in this scene. Um, I, I get it. I get the story he's trying to tell, but I couldn't relate to it. And the other ones I absolutely could relate to. So I think the proposal is probably my least favorite. Bombita is definitely my favorite one of these because it's the one I could relate to the most, right? It's this, that, that feeling 
feeling when, you know, you just in the back of your mind, you feel like somebody just pushed over a domino and it's hitting another domino and another domino and things continue to fall and you feel like they're just out of your control. And in this case, one you know, rogue towing incident uh, has put him in a space of, you know, losing his wife and his family and, and uh, you know, all of these things and, and to make just horrible, horrible choices as a result of this, the first domino being being pulled down. It's interesting, that one too, though, because it ends on a weird up note, right? That, yeah, right. That in fact, he's in, I guess he's in prison at the end and everything sort of slows down and his wife, I'm guessing it's his ex-wife at this point, um, you know, and daughter bring a cake and all of the, uh, you know, everybody's applauding for him and he becomes this sort of Robin Hood folk hero. Um, And so, you you know, it's, I, I find that a really interesting turn that all these horrible decisions actually end up making him quite famous. Uh, in his own way, um, and uh, and rediscover sort of the things that are most important to him. But that scene where he is, you know, he's in with the lawyer and they're talk doing their divorce, right? They're they're having their first meeting with the judge and and you know opposing counsel, uh, and he he screams, you know, what violence? I could totally relate to that, right? He's not naturally a violent person and yet he is driven to this point of of you know the the tea kettle is starting to scream um and so i i find that i could really connect to that well and that i think speaks a lot to what we get in a lot of these stories is this this almost a thematic uh kind of criticism of of the way um like there's like these divides between between people and uh, in this particular story it's really this divide between kind of the the government and corporate um, just the way that that kind of has corrupted our society you know the, the way that they they rule and and have turned it into this this Brazil-esque you know world yeah. without seeming like we're in Brazil um, I mean in in uh, Terry Gilliam's film not the country um, where it just feels like you know bureaucracy has gotten so ridiculous that this is what it's become and and it's it's this this you know man against uh, the machine sort of story where it's like you know he he is going to turn into this robin hood and fight and you get this sense of all the news clippings at the end uh toward the end of the story that reveal hey this is this guy who's become this this um somebody who's going to fight the system for us and you know there's even a, a hashtag bombita libre ya uh, on the on the screen of all these different things, you know, uh, you know, save us, Bombita, and all this sort of stuff, where it's like, and and it's it's even turned into this like cultural phenomenon down in Argentina, where it's it's like a thing where people, uh, it, you know, regularly say now it's a catchphrase where they say I am Bombita mm-hmm. um, down there. It's kind of like us saying going postal. And I, I think that that's a um, says a lot about this particular story. And I think the other ones do too. It's it's especially la propuesta about kind of definitely that divide between the rich and powerful and the poor. I mean, here they are taking full advantage of this gardener. Now he falls in because it's all about the money. Well, and the, and yeah, the the statement that the rich actually, if just being rich, you can be not even part of a political system. You can sentence a man to death. And and that's just it's just kind of a horrifying situation. And it makes you wonder at the end of La Propuesta, like if we take that story further, um, obviously they told this guy that, you know, he can never talk to his family about this. And dad, it's all about the money. 
I have a feeling if we continued that story out further that they would, sure, he would pay off the cop and his lawyer, but he would not give any money to the gardener's family. Yeah, right. You know, I, I think that he would, you know, because for him, it's all about the money. He'd yeah. say, oh, it's a tragedy. I can't believe that he did this. And that would be the end of it. Right. Uh, and it's just sad. And and I think all of these different stories do have this divide between people. I mean, Las Ratas, you've got the, the mafia guy and the woman and how the mafia guy was kind of controlling that town. Pasternak, obviously, just, you know, how one person is affected by so many people in their life. El Mas Fuerte, you've got the the rich guy in his car and the, the, the kind of the hick, as he calls him, in the junker. And then there is, I know they mentioned it, I can't remember the specifics, but in, in the last story, um, how um, the bride and groom are kind of from different social classes. Yeah, it's the the groom comes from great money, and she, uh, you know, when Erica Rivas is, I, I would say, probably my favorite performance in the film, even though it's not my favorite story of the set. Her, she's amazing as the she's bride, so uh, Romy, and she, you know, she has a speech where she says she she tells him off and says, you know, how much she she hates him uh, as a re- and and that she's going to take him for everything. She's going to stay married to him legally and take him for everything, every product that her dad. Daddy has put his name on, um, you know, she's going to take him for all of the money uh, for those products. And so you get this sense that he's from a big, rich sort of maybe manufacturing company or a, and, and that that she knows how it works. She's letting on yeah. to how it works. I love that. Absolutely. And, and I think that is going back to what we were talking about initially about anthology films. I think that's something that Sifron uh, tapped into when he kind of came up with this idea to to. Um, put this story together and and kind of write these six tales that all did have this thematic thread. And I think that's why it resonates with people. I, I just think that it was really uh, a really strong anthology film. So talk a little bit about the uh, the backstory. How did Sifron um, uh, bring these together? Um, he had been um, doing a lot of uh, uh, TV series, uh, directing and producing and stuff. And then I think from what I read is about 2007, he kind of took a break and just really kind of focused on his writing and with a number of other projects that he was working on, um, bigger projects, um, he started writing short stories, as he said, to let off steam. And um, at, over time, he realized that all of these shorts were kind of related. And and he initially had done 12 stories. And, um, and then as he kind of realized what he was going to do, he kind of pulled out his what he called his wildest ones. And and he said that, you know, I think three of the, the stories, he said there's the second, third, and fourth, which uh, would be um, uh, the rats, the strongest, and uh, the proposal. Um, he said, actually, um, which is, it's an interesting three. Like, I would have picked the second or fourth as ones, but he says they're partially based on real-life situations that he'd gone through. Uh, I don't know what sort of mafia or or proposal sort of situations yeah, right. you might have fallen right. into, but it's like, it makes you wonder. But but he realized that, you know, uh, by taking these stories, what he could do is is uh, connect them. I mean, he saw the thematic connection. And so he he kind of cut out everything except for just the, the central conflict um, the and the climax. And he, he just put it all together. And I think that was really smart. And then it was actually uh, the two Almodovar brothers, Agustin and Pedro, who um, they had seen his 2005 film on probation, and they had wanted to work with him. And so they all came together. And, uh, and here is the film. 
Well, it, it's a wonderful film, and I think uh, I, I, I do enjoy it more than I expected uh, as, as a result of some of these things. You, you want to jump into the deep scene dive? Yeah, let's. This is what I'm calling uh, affectionately the final toe. The final toe, right? That's good. I wonder if they did that, if they were on set <laughs> saying, okay, it's time for the final toe. Uh, I like to think they would. It happens right about 56 minutes into the film. This is in Bombita, uh, and this is a place uh, in the film where Simon comes out of where it was supposed to be an interview for a new job where he loses it with the poor receptionist <laughs> and refuses to leave his his uh, his resume with the receptionist because the person he was meant to see is she says out to lunch but he says who eats lunch at four o'clock in the afternoon and so he swears at her and walks out only to find that his blue Chevrolet has been towed again and that's where we pick up. So the sequence, uh, we it, nobody's speaking in this sequence. This is uh, Ricardo Darin. He it, it starts where he 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 has sort of an out of body experience. Would you agree? It's kind of a characterization of of you know him uh, going kind of over the top. Very much so. In fact, this is what you would call the uh, like the turning point, right? It is. Yeah, and and it starts with uh, you know the first shot, which I think is a beautiful shot, up angle on him, but we're underneath the sewer grate, and all we see is his face and flapping immediately in frame. In frame is the red ticket that is glued to the curb uh, to indicate, hey, your car was towed, and um, and and he just his face goes blank. And that's how he exists for the next, you know, couple of minutes, I guess minute or so, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how long it is, uh, where everything slows down. We move first to the uh, the ATM. He puts his card in the ATM machine, and then we have another angle, and we're behind the keypad on the ATM looking out at him. The keypad is, is uh, you know, opaque, so now we can see through it, and uh, we see his him punching in his code, this giant finger punching in his code, which is another beautiful shot, right, behind this element that, that, that takes us into another world. So behind the sewer grate to behind the ATM, uh, he goes to the towing place. We know now that he's just getting cash to, to uh, uh, pay off the tow company, and everything gets much slower, and it pulls out, and he's just sort of autonomically um, pulling bills out of his billfold uh, and giving it to the checker at the towing place. And the camera is pulling back to reveal that there are people in different stages of grief over their car. And some of them are, are in the stage where he was already, where he is uh, you know, frustrated, but the, the woman right in front is also just sort of pulling money out. Um, and, and it ends up uh, just sort of showing how he's, he's moved into a different space. We go from that to we see a kind of a dark building and we see him kind of parking and pulling in. And then you got this great shot from inside the trunk with this this lone uh, streetlight over his head. So you just kind of get this backlit version of him as he's packing stuff into his trunk. And then you see that telltale blue light start flashing and you realize, oh, that was the light that he turned on at the beginning that was for his his detonator switch that that blows the bombs up and we pretty much have an idea as to what he's about to do meanwhile as all this is happening we have the fantastic score by gustavo santolaya that is um it's bombita's theme it's aire libre and it's just this this it feels very any it's kind of got this this children's choir um 
that and it's all in slow motion. Everything feels so deliberate right now as he's putting stuff in his car. And then we see him deliberately got it kind of that great GoPro shot attached to the the front of his car as it deliberately parks in a yellow uh, painted zone. Then you see him in a cafe eating his croissant, watching the car as it gets towed away. He asks for his check. Then you uh, see it getting parked at the um, at the um, uh, the tow uh, place, and then you're inside, and you're seeing a woman complaining about how these guys are criminals and everything. And then, of course, the big explosion goes off and shatters all the glass, knocks them over, rips the roof off the building, and everything. And uh, and that's pretty much it. Before we kind of cut to all the um, the newspaper clippings as everything gets sorted out. I, uh, you know, I, it, I, I'd like to say it was hard for me to think about a, a deep scene dive this week, but this one, it, it really just sort of jumped out at me once I, once I finally watched the entire film, um, because of first of all where it happens in the movie. I mean, it's smack dab in the middle of the movie, uh, and two because to me this represents. Uh, that turning point that we've been talking about, where the inferiority complex turns into a superiority complex. This is a guy uh, who is taking control of his life despite the consequences he knows uh, in, will ensue. And it, it celebrates kind of that emotional feeling that uh, exists throughout all of these stories of retribution and vengeance of the satisfaction that comes, the dark satisfaction that comes from actually, you know, getting the last word in uh, and taking taking that bit of control back and feeling empowered again as a result of doing something grand, making a grand statement. And this sequence and the way it is shot, uh, you know, by uh, Javier Julia and the way it is edited uh, by Pablo Barbieri Carrera and Cifron himself, uh, it, it, it is to me representative of the entire film in just a couple of minutes. Well, and what's what's so nice about this scene is when you look at some of the other people's turns, this is such a quiet turn. Mm -hmm. And I and I love that it it works so nicely with this character, because, I mean, we you brought up that moment earlier when he's he's frustrated at his wife and he asks, he's like, what violence? You know, it kind of like he's he's having these outbursts. He's getting so he's blowing up at the system. Mm hmm. And what is so great about that, which is great because he's a demolitions expert, what's great is is here we get to this this point where he's kind of, it's almost like he's accepted his fate. Not only his fate that his car is going to get towed because this is how the system works, but he's also accepted his fate that I am going to take them down. And and this is, this is I, I have the experience, I have the know-how, this is what I'm meant to do. And he becomes this this Robin Hood, as you call him, and it it it's just, but it's so um, deliberately paced, and I, I I loved that about this paired with that um, fantastic score with the editing mm -hmm. and the slow mo camera work, um, and just some of the creative camera shots that that they throw in here. It really just lends to this this tone that defines exactly who Simone is as he's going through this transition and becoming this this kind of folk hero. And and you know it's sort of a gift to the audience here, right? Because it the when it slows down um, this is not a sequence that you have to figure out really. I mean you you kind of know where it's going. 
because they've they've done such a great job of of setting us up about him being a demolitions expert. You know something's going to happen involving demolitions later. Um, but the rest of the stories in this thing happen at at such a pace that you're you're kind of keeping up. And this one is a is a piece where it gives the audience a, just just a couple minutes to stop and reflect, to stop and and really experience what he's going through. You don't have to keep up with the narrative. You're not racing to keep up with the you know the action in the car sequence. You're you just get to stop and experience this along with him. And I think that you know th- that ends up being um, a. a and it, and it comes at a place in the film that that is, is that gift. It, it's that gift that says, you know, this is an anthology movie, and you're, we, we, every one of these individual pieces has its own sort of narrative pace. But the film as a whole, we want you to stop and reflect on these messages right now. Uh, you know, and, and I think after this, you're in a different place emotionally to experience the rest of the film than you were before it. Right. It's it, it for me, it leads to new sort of internalized awakenings about what this film is really about. Uh, and it, it, it makes me ready to accept what comes later uh, in a different light. And I think that's that's really expert pacing. It really is. And uh, and I think that's something else that that feels like I, I mean, when you pair all the different stories together, it ends up feeling very much like Sifron had an understanding of how the pacing of the film should go and and the movement of the the story. I mean, normally, you know, film is going to have its three acts and um, you kind of have, you know, the different beats that are gonna, you're going to be hitting. It's a little trickier to do that with an anthology film. And I think if you look at some anthology films, you're really not going to get that. It just, you know, they, they, they might try to figure out, okay, well, if we put it together in this order, you know, maybe, maybe we'll kind of build the tension over the course of the film. And I, that can be that can work, but it's not always the most effective way. I think what's happening here is you're getting this fantastic moment of transition in the story that builds to, I think, what you might say are more more of the complex stories, right? Right. It's almost like you need this milestone, right? You need this break just to just to review. This is like your quiz before the the last term, you know. Um, this is that thing you need to you need to be able to stop and and reflect and understand so that you can internalize what comes next. Yeah, because both the proposal and till death do us part, I think, have just a lot more meat. I yeah. mean, you look at you know. Pasternak is just it's just kind of short, silly, quick, exciting. It, yeah. it just does that. Um, the strongest is just I think it's just over the top fun. The rats, I think, you know, it might fit a little more toward the end, but I, I, but it's it's not as complex a story. It's just a short little revenge tale. I think Bombita is really a great transition point. And this scene is that great scene. Uh, Altogether, I feel like this was just a, a really fantastic sequence that does a great job of defining so much of what this whole film is about. One of the challenges of a film like this is that it brings with it a giant cast and their work is sort of un, <laughs> unrelated to one another. We don't get to see these fantastic actors, you know, uh, they're, they're in such a limited world, but it is a giant cast and we want to just do some some shout outs of some of our favorite performances. Uh, the first person that I really would say that I clicked with was Rito Cortese in, uh, as the as Cocinera, the cook in The Rats. 
I just, uh, I loved her attitude. I loved her willingness to kind of go through with this crazy plan of just let's kill him. Yeah. Let's kill the rats, you know, that whole thing. And even at the end, the resolution of the story, pretty much taking the rap for this whole thing saying, you know, hey, I love jail. It's, you know, I have a great time. I don't have to worry about anything. I'd rather be there. And she takes the rap of this whole thing and off she goes. I, I loved her performance. I think that she was um, really, for me, like the first real bright spot in this film. I uh, I agree. She <laughs> she was fantastic. Uh, I, I think uh, you know, in the the rats was was a, a great section. Julieta uh, Zilberg. Zilberberg, 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 Zilberberg. What a fantastic name! Uh, as Moza, she's the the was the daughter, and Cesar Bodon as Quinza uh, were both fantastic. But Cuenca, Cuenca yeah. is that it? Oh, man, my Spanish is not existent. Um, <laughs> uh, the uh, Road to Hell uh, was uh, just two actors: uh, Leonardo Zbaraglia and Walter Donato. Uh, as Diego and Mario in the uh, race to hell uh, to their final embrace as charred carcasses. Leonardo, I thought, was fantastic because he, when he turns, like he's so empowered when he's in his car. And every time he's out of his car, he's uh, just a mess of <laughs> fear. And, and that even holds at the, at the end after he's had this experience of being outside of his car and being in this, this point of terror on the abandoned, you know, on the side of the road. Uh, I think he's just fantastic when the when the hick shows up and, um, you know, he gets back in his car and has to sit there and watch the guy defecate on his windshield. <laughs> I mean, it just it, it just the way he sinks down in his seat as he's watching this happen. And, and you have to say that was a very well-placed camera. I guess you could say that. I you guess could. you could say that. Did you recognize Leonardo Sparaglia? No. How should I have recognized him? He is uh, Tomas. He's the lead in Intacto. <gasps> no right? way. Oh, my uh, goodness. I do. I certainly wasn't expecting to have him pop into something that uh, that we were talking about in our Ricardo Darín series. Not at there he all. Is. Oh, it's been a long Just time. A, I know it really has oh, been. That's terrific. Uh, who's next? Obviously, we've talked about Darin. Yeah, I think yeah, Darin is just. I mean, he's really fantastic. Yeah. I've actually taken to watching watching other Darin films that I, I can uh, get a hold of, and I've seen a couple so far. And I've got to say, um, these four films that we're watching are not just uh, the only good films he's been in. I mean, he is an actor. I mean, we could continue this series and just have an endless bounty of great performances of his to watch. So yeah. Lots of good stuff. Um, but yeah, Bombita, he is fantastic. And what's great about that is obviously it's something that's connected with him because uh, his Twitter handle is uh, at Bombita Darin, which is just fantastic. <laughs> uh, moving on to the deal, we've got a couple of good performances. Oscar Martinez, Marietta, Maria Oneto, and uh, Osmar Nunez as the lawyer. Oscar uh, Martinez is the father. Uh, he's... Uh, he is the one who kind of is the, <laughs> the has the money and is having to put this whole thing together, um, and uh, goes through quite a uh, quite a, a ride up and down. Um, I I I really liked him, and I actually liked his transition in this because I I thought to me it spoke really uh, maybe not so much honestly of of the real world of of what a real father would do, but I thought it spoke pretty clearly about the power of money and when you're in love with your money more than anything else, what, uh, what you're willing to let, let happen, mm -hmm. you know? 
So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I, I enjoyed him quite a bit in that film. <laughs> Maybe that's why I can't relate to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> La Propuesta. Uh, uh, that's what we were just talking about. But we had, uh, was it Herman de Silva? Was he the um, uh, the groundskeeper? Casero? Yeah, Casero. Herman oh, yes. de Silva. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really liked him too, because he seemed like this guy who was just so put upon by the world. And I thought that said a lot, but I liked how he started shifting. It's like, hey, I overheard. If they're going to get more money, I want more money. You know, this whole thing, it's yeah. like, man, it really does just turn everybody. Finally, we have uh, the terrific Erica Rivas and Diego Gentile. Yeah, Gentile, I guess. Gentile, yeah. okay, as uh, Ariel, as the uh, the couple in Till Death Do Us Part. You already talked about Erica. She is the... Um, crazy brilliant performance uh that really i mean i almost feel like they wanted to end it with this film because her performance is so strong and it's such a such a positive i guess you could say resolution she and diego were actually a perfect pair yeah they were so um so good together i loved them I did too. I thought it was fantastic, and and so it, it actually makes a a really interesting uh, sort of combination of, of films and some great individual performances a- across them, uh, as you've already mentioned. Produced by Augustin and Pedro Almodovar. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I gotta slow down. I'd be the slowest Spanish speaker. Uh, What's funny is that Argentine Spanish is so different yeah. than than the Spanish that I know. Like, I try to just listen to what they're saying, and man, it is a challenge. It is just so um, so strange. It's like a, it's almost like its own language. Truly. Not only did um, we talked about the phrase, um, I am bombita, bombita has become a real popular catchphrase in Argentina, but I think it's funny that Erica Rivas, uh, from her story, people still stop and ask her um, to say, film this for me, Nestor. I'm <laughs> just like... <laughs> That was a great moment. It's like, film this, film this, come on. And the poor camera. I'm going to watch this with my kids. (laughs) This is, this is like, so. (laughs) So good Good stuff. How did do an award season? Really good. Really good. This film had 44 wins and 54 other nominations. It was very popular at the, um, the uh, Argentina uh, Academy. They had um, 21 nominations, which just seems crazy to me. But I guess, um, you know, I think here in the States, the most has been uh, 14, I think. Um, They had 21, 21 nominations, 10 of those wins, 11 other, uh, the other 11 were just nominations. For the wins, it won Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor, Oscar Martinez, who we uh, just mentioned was uh, in uh, The Deal, The Mm -hmm, Proposal. mm -hmm. Uh, Erica Rivas won Best Actress. Uh, Herman De Silva won Best Supporting Actor. He was the uh, the groundskeeper. Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Music, and Best Sound. So uh, great work. The other nominations were Darin. He was nominated for Best Actor. And Leonardo Sparaglia were, was nominated. They both obviously lost to their fellow nominee, Martinez. Rita Cortese was nominated for Best Actress, but she lost to Rivas. Uh, Diego Gentile and Osmar Nunez were both nominated for Supporting Actor, and they both lost to fellow nominee De Silva. Uh, Maria Onetto was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Interestingly, she lost to Erica Rivas, but for a different film that she was in the same year called Aire Libre. 
And then um, Walter Donato and Diego Velasquez were nominated for Best New Actor. They both lost to Pablo Pinto in the movie From Tuesday to Tuesday. And then Art Direction, Costume Design, and Makeup. They all, all of those lost to a film called The Games Maker. At the Silver Condors, the Argentinian Film Critics Association Awards, it had seven wins and four other nominations. It won for Director, uh, Supporting Actor Martinez, Supporting Actress Rivas, New Actor Diego Gentile, Music Editing and Sound, and then uh, nominations. The film lost to Refugiado, Supporting Actress Rita Cortese lost to Rivas, Screenplay lost to Refugiado, and Cinematography lost to Jauja. Uh, here in the States, it was nominated for a Best Foreign Language Film, but lost to the Polish film Ida. And then looking at Darin, I, I think it's just, you know, the nature of uh, some anthology films, you don't quite get as many nominations. He only had two nominations total for this one and uh, did not end up um, uh, winning anything. But still, it was a very popular yeah, film. Yeah, very popular film. Um, great competition across the entire cast. How did it do at the box office? Well, to tell his wild tales, Sifron was given a budget of $3.3 million, which is about the same in today's dollars. After its premiere at Cannes in May of 2014, the movie premiered in Argentina on August 21st. And like all of Dadin's films we've talked about in this series, it became a critical and commercial success. In fact, it sold so many tickets that it quickly became the most seen Argentine film of all time in the country. Now, I've seen some disputes online as to whether this film actually beat out Leonardo Favio's 1975 film, Nazareno Cruz and the Wolf, to become the highest grossing Argentine film of all time because it's a bit unclear as to whether people are basing this on how much money it made or how many butts it got into the seats. Regardless, it has been seen the most uh, by the most people in Argentina, and it's either first or second as far as the highest grossing film in Argentina. Either way, it beat The Secret in Their Eyes, which we discussed last week. To say the least, it was a success. As for here, the movie had a limited release February 20th, 2015, opposite the Duff Hot Tub Time Machine 2 and McFarland, USA. It went on to make $3.1 million domestically and $23.9 million internationally, giving it a grand total of $27.5 million in today's dollars. That gives the movie an adjusted profit per finished minute of 198000 Quite the string of successes that we have talked about for Mr. Dadin. Yeah, that's amazing. The guy is really, I mean, what an incredible box office draw. I, I just find it so hard to believe that we don't see him in more uh, English language films. Well, maybe he's just not interested, like we've said before. Yeah. What I do find interesting, if you look at the the projects that he has brewing, I think he actually is filming a project right now with um, with Oscar Ferrati, who is the um, what is he Iranian? Uh, yeah, oh. he's the Iranian director who did a separation and the salesman. Like he's and he keeps winning Oscars. He's like a really really great director. Um, and he's working on this movie called Everybody Knows. Um, IMDb has, it says, Carolina, a Spanish woman living in Buenos Aires, who returns to her hometown outside Madrid with her Argentinian husband and children. However, the trip is upset by unexpected events that bring secrets into the open. But look at that cast, Andy. Oh my goodness. Penelope Cruz, Javier Bardem, and Ricardo Darín. Are you kidding? Yeah, it's, I, I cannot wait. Yeah, no, I'm very, very, very excited about this film. Uh, that should be fantastic. Uh, and it looks like um, just sometime in 2018 in Spain. Yeah, it's just, it's filming right yeah, now. It's filming so it's right still now. a little while, a yeah. little ways away. That's one to look forward to. 
I, I think it's probably time, Andy, because I don't know, nobody can hear uh, quite what's going on on your end, but you are really sick. And there has been a lot of <laughs> muting and coughing and, and heck, I think we should hurry up and rank it. I'm worried you're going before, to melt. Before I die, before I die. <laughs> At least the show will be I'm complete. My, I'm, I'm doing my best, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let's head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. When you're there, you can find our list of all the movies that we've talked about on this show. And uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and throw Wild Tales into the mix. I I actually prefer the the other translation, right? I guess it's closer to maybe the Spanish Savage Tales. That that feels better to me. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, and uh, and let's see how it it stacks up on your list. And that actually reminded me before we jump into this, mm-hmm. um, how fantastic were the opening credits with like all the wild animals? Oh, and everything. so good! Yeah, I just like like I, you just said that yeah. about Savage and everything. It just totally struck me. It's like I loved the opening titles. Yeah, I was actually bummed that there's no art of the title uh, write up on on these titles. I thought that was they, they would have been worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, first up, we have Wild Tales or Hot Fuzz. Huh. Well, that's not a great block, uh, but I'm I think I'm gonna go with Wild Tales. I am really torn on this one. I'm going to say Wild Tales, though. Yeah, I think it, I think before our conversation, I would have gone with Hot Fuzz, but I'm I'm liking it even more now. It's it's sat really well with me. Yeah. But here's a hard one though: Wild Tales or Shaun of the Dead? Shaun of the Dead. I am saying Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. Wild Tales or Mother? I'm going to say Wild Tales. I think I am too. Wild Tales or Ronin? Ronin. Ronin. Wild Tales or Glengarry Glen Ross? Well, you know, I'm a big lover of Glengarry Glen Ross. I think it's possible I'm going to go with Wild Tales. Wow. I was not expecting that. I think I'll go Wild Tales also. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Wild Tales or 12 Monkeys. Got to go 12, 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys. Wild Tales or For a Few Dollars More? This is the one you always wonder. This one is your favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think wild. I'm saying for a few dollars more. You are. I, I'm really yeah. on the fence. I was about to say wild tales, but uh, I can I can be swayed. You'll be flexible. Let's let's consider me swayed. Okay. Wild tales or das boot. Das boot. Yes, definitely. But I would love to see Doreen on a submarine movie. <laughs> All right. Well, that puts it at number one eleven on our chart. One eleven out of three twenty six. That's pretty, pretty good. good. Spot yeah, that's it. pretty good spot. Where did it end up on your personal list? My personal flick chart, it ended up landing at 628 out of 3871, which is about an 84%. So I think that's, you know, it's pretty high for this one. I, I I feel pretty good about that. It actually performed much, much higher on my own uh, flick chart list than I, I was really surprised. And I think it, you know, it didn't run into some of these movies that, you know, had it run into Shaun of the Dead, it would have been in a different place. Had it run it, well, actually, I think Shaun of the Dead's higher than it here, but um, it, 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 just you know, it it ran into some easy picks, and it put it right at seventy one. Wow! Uh, on my flick chart list, that puts it at ninety three percent. It is. Uh, it did very well. It much. It, it really surprised me um, at, at just how well it did as an anthology movie. Since I'm just not a huge fan of anthology movies. It, it, mostly because, and I, I think that's the challenge. When I, I started looking for anthology movies for uh, our Saturday matinee coming up this weekend, and it. It, it turns out it's a little bit of a struggle because there are so many horror um, anthologies uh, that they they tend to sort of swamp the the you know narrative stories. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But this one, man, I 
I really enjoyed it, apparently. I think it's a fantastic one. People who um, love anthology films should check it out. People who don't necessarily love them, yeah. like Pete, should still check it out. It's it's a really, really uh, well-crafted story. Uh, six stories, well-crafted, six stories, well-crafted film, definitely yeah. worth checking out. And what does this do for your Letterboxd uh, ranking uh, over at letterboxd.com slash the next reel? I think that it ended up at a four and a like for me. Yeah, it's a strong four and a like for me too. Although maybe I should put it higher now that I'm looking at my flick chart. I'm, I'm feeling like a flick chart says it should be four and a half, but I, I, think, a, I think a four and a like, that's going to be enough. I think we're in violent agreement. I think this could turn into a four and a half down the road uh, when I revisit it. I just felt it so enjoyable. I had an absolute fantastic time watching it. Um, I've had an absolute fantastic time with this series. This was one of uh, the most thrilling series because I had knew nothing about Ricardo Darín going into this series. And, and coming out the back end of the series, I'm like, this is a fantastic actor. Everybody should know who he is and should be watching his films because he's just mesmerizing on screen. And I, I've already added every uh, Darin film that I can find on Amazon and Netflix to my queues so that I can just keep watching more of them. I just, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic actor and I definitely hope one day we can return to him to watch more of his projects. I really do too. I think that's his, that would be great to throw in a 2018 Doreen series and just, just keep, keep come, going back to the well. I have been so disheartened um, by the number of people I talk to about Doreen who uh, will uh, who say, you know, maybe I'll get to it. I, I just, I don't have any patience with reading subtitles. Um, mm, and yeah. That makes me so sad because that, that means it's, it's just shutting the door on, on a truly terrific talent. Um, and um, so uh, please give it a shot. Put, you know, where would you put of these four movies that we've talked about, where would you say people should start? Well, that's a good question. Um, it really depends on the person, but I think The Secret in Their Eyes is my favorite of the bunch. I think it's just such a well-crafted tale. Um, it's it's kind of a detective story. It's a love story. Yeah. I think there's some nice elements for people to latch on to. Just a little bit of gruesomeness, uh, but it goes by pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Uh, that for me, I think, uh, and it also just feels fresh and uh, and modern. I, everything about it just, just felt yeah. really good. I would say that one, but I mean, I could certainly also say Nine Queens because it's a it's a thrilling heist, uh, you know, film. Uh, you know, that con job that they pull. I think those two are probably the most accessible uh, for the broadest uh, audience. Although the the sort of um, uh, the quieter story in Son of the Bride, right? The the sort of oh, midlife yeah. crisis story and the love story between the it just it feels good. It it feels good the way that film resolves and. And so uh, I think you get something out of all of these. But between Nine Queens and The Secret in Their Eyes, I would probably go for The Secret in Their Eyes. Um, yeah. Just just the, the thriller aspect of it. If you're a fan of films like Silence of the Lambs, if you're a fan of, uh, of you know, those kinds of, of investigative um, films, this is going to be one that, that you're, you're going to connect to. And, and Doreen is at his best. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where do we go from here, Andy? We're, this is it. So what's what's our next thing? This is it. Yes, we are. Um, we're going to be uh, before we kick off our next series. We have, as I alluded at the beginning, our listener choice episode um, with Mel down in Melbourne. She is going to be joining us uh, for a few minutes to chat about um, one of her uh, favorite childhood films, Labyrinth. And that's what we'll be chatting about next week. Looking forward to that one. Outstanding. And, you know, I do have uh, on uh, uh, the, the midweek show. 
I was supposed to go live this week, but with Thanksgiving and all the in the U.S., uh, it, you know, it's a oh, we should say this Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> we, yes, uh, with Thanksgiving, I just didn't I didn't finish it. Uh, but I do have a conversation uh, with Ethan Siegel, Doctor Ethan Siegel. He's a he's a, a fantastic uh, science communicator, and he has just written a book called Technology: The Science of Star Trek. So uh, I'm going to be releasing that next week. Um, uh, that'll be our, our second episode next week. Uh, so you can get a, a sense. It's I, I just thought it was a really nice way in in parallel to the launch of his book as we wrapped up our mega epic uh, Star Trek uh, series on this show to, to have a conversation with Ethan uh, about the science of Star Trek and ask him the some of the, the nerd questions that stymied us. Uh, and I have to tell you, uh, it, it's fantastic. I, you know, I, I hope I'm not alone. I deeply enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you get something out of it. Uh, because what he does in this show is he paves a path toward a, a scientific rationale that uh, actually makes all of this stuff, all of the challenges that we had, real. Like there is a world in with in which all of those things could exist. And that's what he does. Uh, it, it's great. The book is great. I hope everybody takes a takes a time to uh, listen to that next week. So, there you go. Fantastic. Excellent. So that's what's coming up. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, I hope you are. Uh, if you're in the U.S., uh, if you're not in the U.S., we're thankful for you anyway. That's right. That's what we do. Uh, and and I, I think that's all we have to say on this one, Andy. You know, uh, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. Uh, I have a brief uh, sentiment from Dr. Richter, who, who gives it a one star, as you might predict. And she says, this film is stupid and obscene. Andy, oh is there my. anything in this film that you found obscene? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. How could I forget? In fact, as we've mentioned, there is a scene where uh, a character defecates on the windshield of another character's car that's true right which you did mention yeah. i did mention that i guess that could be you would probably classify that as obscene that might be what bothered dr richter but really i mean to sink a whole film to one star because of the pooping yeah you don't sink a film because of the pooping <laughs> that should be on a t-shirt <laughs> don't sink a film because of the pooping <laughs> what's, your, oh, what's yours well, I've, I've got a one star um by peter hmm <laughs> <laughs> says, uh, if I wanted a TV series, I would have watched a TV series. There is no connection between any of the stories. This is not a movie. Uh, part of me says, yeah, that check that checks out. <laughs> uh, y- yeah, see, that's why I'm Peter. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. I wonder. Lies. Lies. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, Andy. Happy Thanksgiving, Pete. Happy Thanksgiving, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. 
and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>